Today is a great day because it is uh, the last Sunday before THX, and uh, THX is on uh, this coming Thursday. Uh, we have some prep work to do right before that, um, and so we need people to, to be helping out with that. So if you want to help, you can just go back to one of these uh, boards here. In fact, the board to the right uh, says, I can give time, and there's some spaces there, but you will notice that the left side, I can give money is completely gone. There's no, you can't give money anymore, yeah. right? That's, yeah. that's awesome. So let me tell you how much came in. $7,881. Yeah. <clears throat> Going through puberty right now. Um, but uh, we, uh, we were trying to raise $7,000 and we brought in more than enough. So I just want to say thank you and we can celebrate together what God has done uh, in and through you to give and release our, uh, our death hold on uh, the money that we have that we so often call our own. And so um, we're thankful for that. Thank you so much for participating in that. That has been an awesome thing. I, I wanted uh, Gray Newman, one of our worship leaders, to come up and just talk about his experience in the past with things like this at, at another church and how God um, affected him in and through that. Gray, tell us about, um, about that. Sure. Uh, I can't believe you guys actually gave me a mic, by the way. This is fantastic. Um, so those of you guys who don't, uh, don't, yeah, 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 we're moving on, yeah. uh, who don't know me, uh, my background at all, I actually grew up um, essentially one of these families, uh, specifically where uh, we were the first Habitat for Humanity house in Salem. We got in there. All we had was sleeping bags, basically, so we kind of stuck on the floor in the living room together. Um, we uh, grew up at Morningstar Community Church, and uh, over the years, people started coming and just showing up at our house, giving us Thanksgiving dinner, giving us uh, gifts, uh, a Christmas tree, all kinds of stuff. So uh, essentially, I remember one year, I think I was like nine, maybe nine or ten years old, uh, I was a little scared to ask my mom. I was telling Matt because I was kind of worried I was going to have to give the presents back. But I said, well, who are these people and why do they keep showing up? Uh, I don't know who they are. I don't know why they're giving us stuff. And so she actually sat me down. She said, they know they are loved by God, loved unconditionally by God. And so they're coming out here to love us unconditionally and show us what that looks like. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the beginning of the understanding. So this specifically has a very um, a personal point uh, for me, this type of ministry that we're doing here, because I was actually able to receive that and, and be able to, to stand up here and tell you guys that it's not just something that sometimes we feel like we're just giving them food and then that's it. Nothing else happens from it. Uh, I promise you, I guarantee you that there's so much more that's happening there. And those kids and those families, when we walk in, they're paying attention, they're watching us, and they're looking at us, and they're seeing, starting to see an example that's complete opposite of what this world shows us otherwise. So um, I hope that we can be unified in that heart when we go out and we're doing this and uh, more of us can get involved in uh, being a part of that process. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, that, that is just to give you an idea of, of what it looks like. I mean, there, there are real people in these homes that are being affected uh, profoundly uh, uh, throughout their life uh, because of what we're able to, to offer to them. And just so you know, um, in years past, we've worked hard to try to be connected, continue to be connected with the school and with those communities and so forth. It's really hard, by the way, to, to try and keep that connection with them because um, in some ways this is a, a transient uh, group of people. They, they move a lot, and it's hard to keep up with them at times. And so um, that's been difficult. We've also been a young church, so it's been hard to find leaders that are willing to stick around and, and, and help with those things. But two major things that are going on at, um, 
uh, at Richmond Elementary uh, specifically right now is we have a soccer club that's going on there uh, right now. It happens weekly along with uh, little soccer uh, practices every Friday. We have a group of people that are, that are doing this. This helps us get a connection with these students. I believe that we have upwards of around 30 um, kids or up to 30 kids that we can serve in and through that. We're working w- very closely with the school, the office manager, and the, uh, and the principal. Um, both uh, My wife actually knows them uh, personally. I haven't s- uh, talked with them a ton, but we know them because they, they, were, uh, they had worked at our, our kids' school prior to this. And so that's a really great connection that we have with them. In addition to this, um, one of our employees, Emma Jackson, um, she is the director of, of children's or outward kids here. And so she is actually paid to help um, implement a mentoring program that we're, that we're going to be involved with, whether you know that or not. Uh, we're going to be involved with this, and so we're hoping that many of us are going to be able to be a part of this. And we also have an intern that is interning, and he is helping to arrange things over there, Adam Sutton. And so it is a full-court press. We, we want to make sure that we're making a difference, a profound impact at, at one specific area. We want to put all of our, um, uh, all of our efforts into one place and to, to make a... Um, a big dent there in, in that sense. Uh, what's been going on there this year is that we've had, uh, I think we got 40 families from them. We were hoping to get more. Um, I believe that area is actually um, uh, uh, be, be getting better, I should say. And um, so there's uh, less uh, lower income housing and, and so forth. And, and so we've actually had to go to four different elementary schools. So we have four elementary schools that we're working with right now. Um, I'm going to forget all of them right now, Washington, Highland, um, Richmond, and I'm forgetting the last one. So, um, but we're, we're dealing with four elementary schools. Uh, we're contacting them. All of those schools contacted Richmond Elementary, the, um, the coordinator that we work with there, and said, who are these people? Why are they calling us, asking us for families? And so the great thing is, is that we've worked with them for the last eight years, and so they were able to say, no, they're legit, and they're... Uh, they're actually, they actually are bringing food. And so, um, so that's an awesome opportunity that we get to have to be able to serve our community. So we're going to be delivering meals throughout uh, the city, and that'll be on Thanksgiving morning. And what you do is you show up um, uh, at, uh, what time are we having people show up, by the way? I, I, I keep forgetting to ask this. 9 a.m.? Okay, 9 a.m., on Thanksgiving morning at Richmond Elementary School. And if you show up right on time, it's awesome. We're going to have coffee, and it's, it's great to hang out and, and spend time with, with other people, meet some new people perhaps, bring your family along with you. It's such a great thing uh, on a day that we're supposed to give thanks to give back to people um, that don't have perhaps what we do all the time. So uh, you, you can have that opportunity 9 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning. And we normally try to be done by 11 and, um, and then go have uh, dinner with our family um, a couple hours later. And so it's a great opportunity. Hope that you'll join us there on Thanksgiving morning if you can. If you want to turn with your Bibles uh, with me to James chapter 1, we are um, uh, finally finishing, not the book, uh, but uh, the first 18 verses. Now, uh, mind you, I, had, uh, I was planning on teaching all of these 18 verses the first Sunday I taught on this. And so uh, just to give you an idea, I, uh, I have broken this down. I don't even know how many weeks we've been going. I, this might be the fourth or fifth week. And so anyway, so uh, we're moving a little bit slower. We're going to try to pick up the pace a little bit. But I really felt like 
There's some amazing things in here that are specifically for us. And really, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for all of us at all times, but especially for our church right now. There's such uh, an amazing push in our culture, and even in Christian culture, to follow your heart, uh, to do what you feel is right, and to uh, just follow your passions. They will lead you in the right place. Just go listen to any commencement speech at a graduation, uh, anything like that, and you'll, you'll hear the absurdity abound as far as how you should live your life. You should follow your, your passions. You should do these things. Well, by the way, ISIS is following their passion. So should we always follow our passion? Where's, where's the right and the wrong? No, only the good passions. How, how can you tell what are the good passions? Well, here's the thing. We have a, uh, a true... And, um, and better word that we get through uh, the word of God. And this is actually how we want to live our lives. And so James is communicating to us how we should live. And in many cases, even in Christian culture, we're following our hearts, not understanding that our hearts are corrupt, that our hearts are misleading us, and we're allowing our feelings to direct the path of where we're going and who we're hanging out with and what relationships we're involved with. And it's destructive in your home. It will be destructive in your home. It'll be destructive in your work. It'll be destructive in your life. Even if you have perceived success, it will still remain to be destructive in your life. In James chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 16. Um, What's been going on is that James has been saying that really uh, trials or troubles are actually good things in our life. Trials and difficulties are actually good things in our lives. And oftentimes we want to blame God and we say, God, um, why have you allowed this to happen in my life? And because you did this, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. That's what I did for a time in my own life. So I'm I'm right there with you. Um, But so many times we say, God, you should not have done this to me. You should not have made this happen. And so we blame God for something. And so what James has been walking us through, he's, he's saying, count it all joy. Not because of the difficulty, not because I'm happy that someone died or I'm happy I lost my business or I'm happy I lost my job or I'm, I'm happy because I'm, I'm depressed. But it, it's, it's saying this to God and say, I'm happy for what you're going to do through this in my life. I'm happy because you're going to do something amazing in and through my life. I, I, as I look around this room, I see people that have gone through incredible difficulty that have gone through cancer, that have gone through uh, divorce, that have gone through all kinds of things, and God has used those things to allow them to become the people that God wants them to be. And so this is the focus that James wants us to take, and he says, you need wisdom to be able to make it through these, so you need to ask God that, and then believe him when he says that, and that means acting on that, and that's the, an act of faith. It's saying, I believe God, and I'm going to act in a way that is in, uh, that is in agreement with his wisdom. He then gets into talking about how money is not going to save you, uh, and those of you who, who consider yourselves poor, or you don't have a whole lot uh, to show for what's happened in your life. He, he, he says this. He says, you need to exalt in your, your high position. And what he's saying is this, is that because of Jesus Christ, you actually have a high position and you actually get to learn more from God because of the difficulty in your life on a regular basis. It's paying the bills. It, it may be even having the water turned back on because it got turned off because you didn't pay the bill. It's, it's having enough money, praying to God and trusting him that he's going to provide for you. These are actually really great benefits that come with even the difficulties of life. doesn't mean that we shouldn't help with those things. It just mean that, means that God uses those things. And then this last week, 
we talked about this, how uh, temptation, uh, when it comes to us, when temptation comes, what happens is this, is that we oftentimes say, you know, God, why would you have put this in front of me if you didn't want me to take it? Why would you have offered me this job opportunity if you didn't want me to take this job? You know, I, I have to take this job because it's been offered to me, or I have to take this new position that's going to take me away from my family and take me away from all of these things. You, why would you put this in front of me if you didn't want me to have it? Why would you put this person in my life that is so much more understanding than my spouse if you didn't want me to have that? You want me to be happy, right? God wants me to be happy, right? And, and that, that's not the case. It's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to find true happiness in him. And that only happens as we follow him and we obey him. But oftentimes we blame God and we say, God, it's your fault because you've put, put this here. But really what James says is this, God doesn't tempt anyone. It's you giving in to temptation. It's desires that lead to this, that lead to this. Sin is always progressive. It's moving us down the road. And so then he says, he picks it up in verse 16. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived by, by what's happening in your life. Don't be deceived by the difficulty in your life. Don't be deceived uh, by what's taking place. Don't allow yourself to be lied to. Don't believe the lies that the enemy is bringing to you. Don't believe these lies. You must trust God in and through this difficulty. And what, what are the lies that we potentially uh, listen to and, and believe? He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, when I was a kid, there was a song uh, that I used to lead when I was a, a brand new worship leader, and it, and, it was, and it went like, and every good and perfect gift comes from you. Father of life. And, and I thought that it sounded kind of, kind of mystical. And I, I was just like, what does this mean? I'm like singing this song. And we're all just kind of singing this together. And I just didn't understand what it meant. But what, what this is essentially saying here is, is that there are good things in our life. There are good things in our life. And they come from God. But oftentimes we don't recognize that. Oftentimes when we are in our life and we're experiencing difficulty, what takes place is this, is that we blame God for all the bad things in our life and we take credit for all the good things. Like if, if I have an incredible skill in music, which you just heard, I, it's undeniable, right? Um, like if I have this, let's just say perhaps I do have this incredible skill, like I take credit for it. Well, I've just worked on my voice and I just, I had the right mentors and I, and I did this. But it's like, hey, wait a minute, like you're taking credit for something that you were born with. So many times we take credit for the good and we give God credit for the bad. And sometimes we even say, I don't believe that there is a God who would allow all of the horrific things that happen in this life. But here's the thing, is that how do you account for all the good? How do you account for all of the good things that happen in life? All of, all, all of the stuff that, that, you know, our country is incredibly blessed all of, the, all of the, the niceties that we have, all of the, the money that flows through our country, like we enjoy these things, but then we only give credit to God for the bad things in life. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Where does it come from when we say, you know, I, I just want to take credit for all the things that are going right in my life. I just want to be the one who's going to take the credit for this. Really what takes place is this, is that we oftentimes 
begin to think of ourselves as being the purveyor of all good things in life. And really, we overlook so many other good things. I, I told you uh, this last year, if, if you've been here for any amount of time, as we were walking through Ecclesiastes, it was really speaking to me. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by a guy by the name of Song of Solomon. Um, not Song of Solomon, Solomon, King Solomon. That's the name of the book, but anyway, uh, by uh, Solomon. And one of the things that I learned in, in and through that book is this, is that so many times I do not stop and enjoy life. I don't stop and enjoy the things that are going on. I'm always reaching for the next thing. I'm always reaching for the next thing. I'm always reaching for the next thing. And I'm not able to sit back and enjoy what's happening in life. I'm not able to enjoy what's taking place. The other night, my wife and I went and uh, saw a, a, a concert. It was like last minute. It's one of our favorite bands. And we, we, we saw that they uh, still had tickets. And so uh, we actually drove up to Seattle. And I'm sitting there like on the third row of this concert in this tiny venue because uh, we got there early. And the thing I was thinking to myself is that while this is not um, Christian music, it is God's music. This is God's music. It, it was so incredible. I'm sitting there listening to this, and, I, and I'm worshiping God at the same time where I'm just going, God, you are so amazing that you provide these voices. It's just a guy and his wife and a guitar and a guy with a kick drum, and they're sitting there singing, and, and I'm sitting there going, I cannot believe that God creates something that is so good that I get to enjoy with my wife. God is so good in that. I mean, I talk about uh, meat a lot, don't I? I, I mean, I, I enjoy meat, and I'm not talking about poultry. That's not meat. I'm talking about like beef, red meat, right? And I learned recently how to make brisket. And uh, one, one of our, our guys here, uh, Kylie, told me all about it. He walked me through the process, coaching me. I'm texting him while I'm, while I'm cook, cooking this brisket. But I made this brisket that I want to tell you, I have not had a better brisket since then. It, you know, it's, it's my brisket, so I should like it, right? But I make this brisket, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, this is so delicious. It is so good. It, it's, it's so amazing that God would create something that has the flavor like this and then give me the ability to like create this on my, on my smoker barbecue and then enjoy it together and, and, and give it to other people and they get to enjoy it as well. Or we get to sit on uh, our patio and we have a, a fireplace and many of you have been there and, and we enjoy hanging out with, with people, but we get to sit around and we get to enjoy people. We get to enjoy friendship. We get to enjoy music, and in the middle of the summer, the leaves are full, and there's some oak trees around my, my patio, and we have this light that shines up underneath uh, the trees, and if you sit there, and you just sit there, and, and you're quiet, you get to sit there and look up at this canopy of leaves, and you get to just like enjoy this, this, the incredible things that God has created as you sit there and you enjoy the friendships that God has created, as you get to enjoy the fire that God has created, that you get to enjoy the warmth that it provides. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so oftentimes I could say, I created that brisket, or I, I, I made the money that allowed me to go to a concert. Or I, I, I did this or I did that. But too often, what are we saying? We're saying, I'm taking credit for that. I was talking with another friend just recently. I can't remember who it was. But I was talking with somebody and they were talking about how, how uh, they had their first child. 
and, and they're, they're sitting there, and they just don't know who to thank. Like, do I thank the doctor? Hey, thanks for doing this. No, not really, because, I mean, he really had a lot to do with, like, conceiving this child, right? I mean, so you can't really thank the, the doctor so much, but you can say, well, thank you for doing a good job. And you can thank your wife, like, thank you for, you know, doing that or, or whatever. Like, you know, you could, you could walk through a lot. Like, who am I, I going to thank right now? Like, who is there to thank for new life, for this birth? Who am I going to thank for this? Who am I going to thank? But Romans 1 says this. That humanity's fundamental problem is that we want to take credit for the things that are going on and we want to worship the thing over the, the one who's given us the thing. We want to worship the stuff that we get. We want to worship self. And, and don't be deceived. This is in Christian culture today. This is in Christian culture. When we talk about what God's doing through us and we take credit for, look at everything that I'm doing because I, you know, I got to be a part of this event, or I got to uh, do this or do that. Huge problem with even church pastors that we have to keep ourselves in line and just say, this is God's church. This is his place. This is what he's doing here because I have the ability to take credit for everything that God is doing. I, I have this ability to actually lie to myself and say that somehow, look at what I've done. Look at what's taken place through all of my hard work. And, but yet God is the one who gives the vision. And God is the one who gives the gifts. And God is the one who provides the people. And God is the one who allows his church to flourish. God is the one who's provided a great family for you. God is the one who's provided perhaps children or will provide children. Or may even allow you to adopt other children. God is the one who has provided you with friendships as a single and, and, and allows you to have rich friendships among people who you're not necessarily connected with in a physical way. God is the one who provides all this. But too often, we take credit for these things. So what James wants to tell us is he wants to say this. Like, we've been talking about all of this junk. There's trials there's money problems, there's sin, there's all of this stuff that's going on in our life. And James is just saying, stop the presses for a second, and let's just think for a moment about what God has actually done. And let's give credit where credit is due, and let's just say that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. It comes from him. And so how in the world do you and I take credit for these things? So let me tell you what it does to us. It causes us to walk around being ungrateful punks so many times. We're ungrateful. The depression that we experience in life as things aren't going my way, as things aren't working out, things didn't succeed like I thought they were going to. And so there's this depression that happens. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm a driven person, and so I always feel like I have to have, what's the next thing, and what's the next thing, and what's the next thing, and what's, what's my major problem? I'm not sitting here saying, what has is, what is God given me? That every good and perfect gift that's happening in my life with my kids around me that are just stinking cute and incredibly loud and destructive, but they're cute, and a fantastic wife and a home that I love, 
So I walk around as somebody who's ungrateful sometimes, and I don't recognize everything that God is doing in life. What a perfect sermon right before Thanksgiving. Not a spiritual holiday, but one we celebrate nonetheless as a culture. But too often times, it's not about giving thanks. It's about celebrating ourselves. It's about celebrating what we can do through our lives. So he says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him. John chapter 3, verse 27 says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You got to get this into your head the way that I do. There's not one thing in my life that has not been given to me by God. There's not one thing. There's not one thing. When I was, when I was uh, uh, 14 years old, I, uh, I worked all summer at uh, my dad's church, and I painted a building. Mostly, mostly I was useless, but for the most part, I did some work. And so I'm 14 years old, and I work all summer. And uh, at the end of the summer, I, I, I get a check for $300. Wow. And I, so I had some money burning a hole in my pocket. And so I had this friend who, uh, his, uh, he had just totaled his pickup truck. It was a 1972 Ford pickup, F250, uh, I think. And uh, it was a camper special. It had a 400, and it was very fast. But it was completely wrecked on one side, and he was selling it for $300. And guess what? I had $300. So when I was 14 years old, I bought my first truck. Uh, and it's hard to believe that I would buy a truck. But uh, I bought this truck for $300. And what happened in my life is that as, as a 14-year-old, I was like, look at what I've done. I, by myself, have acquired an asset. Yes, it's a 1972 Ford pickup and a Ford at that, but it was a pickup. I am a Chevy guy now, but uh, it's a Ford pickup. Look at what I've done. Look at what's taken place. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. And yet I took pride on that. And I built my life on that. And so what's the answer? There's two things. There's two things. There are two qualities about God. There are this, uh, cre these creative qualities, and there are these redemptive qualities that speak into the cure for this. He says in uh, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now, what is this idea of this Father of lights? What does it mean? Well, there's a, a verse in Psalm 136, verse 7 through 9. It says, to him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. What, what is, what's it saying there? It's talking about the lights, the one who gave these things. He's the one who gave these things, the father of lights the originator, the creator. This is something that blesses all of creation. It's the sun, the moon, the stars. It's all of these fantastic things that God has created and Christian and non-Christian alike get to enjoy the things that God has given, his creative aspects. He has given us these 
things. So this is the father of lights. And then he says this, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now what happens in our life is this, is that we get a little bit, a bit of success and then it goes away and we're heartbroken. Or we're, 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 we're hoping that things always stay the same, but then something happens and someone dies. We're hoping that life would, 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 would be peaceful. And perhaps maybe you're somebody like me. Like, I like a lot of change. I like a lot of things. But I want things to stay the same in that sense. I want things to always be changing. I want things. That, that's, that's what I want in my life. But here's the thing. The father of lights, the one who's created all of these things, is not like the sun, even though he created the sun. And it's not like there's going to be sunlight on me right now, and then I'm going to be in the shadow of depression. And it's not like I'm going to be in this sunlight right now, and then it's just everything's going to change. It's, it's not shifting this way or that way. This is the father of lights, and what he does is he provides all of these things for us and yet it speaks to something about him. He doesn't change the way that our world does. He doesn't change. He never changes. Now, why, why do we need to hear this? Why do we need to understand this? It's because of this. Everything that you're pursuing, that you're taking credit for, is rooted in this one thing. I want things to be different. I, I, I want stability. I want things to be constant. I want to enjoy constant sexual pleasure. I want to enjoy constant uh, friendships that are always loving. I want to enjoy a perfect family life. I want to enjoy a business that's always growing. I always want it to do this. Do you know what's happening there? You're grasping after something that our world is not. Our world is always changing. The sun is always moving. There's, something's always in a shadow. So it's, it's changing here and there. The, sometimes we see the stars and sometimes we don't. Sometimes the moon is a full moon and sometimes there's no moon at all. It's always changing, but God is one. He's pointing to something in our life. You keep grasping after stuff. And you keep saying that somehow this is going to make me happy, and this is going to make me happy, and this is going to make me happy. These things are going are to fulfill me. You can do this with friends, and you can say, you can go after friends. You can say, I really need friends to fulfill me. And then when friends fail you, it can devastate you. You can put your wife or your husband on this pedestal, and you say, I want things to always stay the same. But then you get into your marriage, and you say, they're not the same person that I married. What are you asking for? You're wanting something to stay the same. You're wanting something to be the same. James is saying this. He's saying, the one who created all things, the father of lights, there is no shadow of changing. There is no variation. He stays the same always. And the very thing that you're looking for when you say, okay, this is what I've done. Look at what I've taken, taken, taken part in. How, look how I've created my life. And look at all of these things. We're saying, look at how godlike I am. Look at how I've organized my life. Look at how I've made things go well. And in Roman, Romans 1, it says this. God's grace towards you is to dash your hopes on the rocks. See, some of you are going through like horrific ordeals. 
Like my heart goes out so, so much to our single moms. Like it frustrates me beyond belief the things that have happened in some of your lives, the way that your, your husbands have walked away from you. It frustrates me beyond belief. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God is the one who's never changing. He is the one who's always there. And God has allowed something to take place in your life. He's allowed this to take place. And if you look at this as though all is lost, this is horrible. I mean, I'm in a cave into depression. And I can see why you would want to do that. If you look at it that way, you're missing it. You're missing it because God has given you an amazing opportunity to be completely dependent on him and to look up to him and, and to say, there is no shadow of changing with him. He's not going to come home one day and say, I don't love you anymore. He's not going to come home one day and say, I found someone else. He's never found another lover. He's, he's never looked after someone else. You've always been the object of his affection. You've always been the one. There's no shadow of change. He's, he's not different today and then different tomorrow. He's not like your friendships where you have like, I, am I on the same? Where, where am I at with this person? Do they like me? Do they not like me? No, he's God. He's the father of lights. He put the sun in the sky, the stars, the moon. He's created our world. He's given us every good thing, and he never changes. And the thing that that means is this, is that you're always changing. You're always progressing. You're always becoming and he is a being. You're always becoming something different. He's always staying the same. He's just right here. He is a rock. A very present help in trouble. He is this incredible fortress because he is God. And he never changes. And any theology that tells you otherwise... This doesn't mean that God can't have emotions. It doesn't mean that God doesn't respond to events. Any theology that says that God does change and somehow he responds to you in, in a way that says, well, if he did this, then I'm going to do that. No. God never changes. He never changes. He's the one who's determinant in our life. Psalm 102, verse 25 through 27 says... Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. What's that saying? God takes the things that are happening in life, this world, and he changes it like it's a dirty shirt. But he stays the same. He's in charge on that level. This is the God who you follow. Or this is the God that you're considering following. This is who we're talking about. He never changes them. He changes everything else like a robe. But he stays the same. And then 
we get to verse 18. We just got done talking about the creative. Now we're talking about the redemptive. Of his own will. Just stop right there for a second. Of his own will. Who's determinant in this relationship? Who causes things to happen? Who is the one that's in charge of his own will? And what's he in charge of? Of his own will, he brought us forth. Now that word right there, brought us forth, or those words, literally mean he gave birth to. And what's, what's he talking about? Whenever we're talking about the Christian life, we're talking about new life, we're talking about a birth we're talking about something new. We're talking about a baby who's being born. When you become a Christian, it's, it's a baby being born spiritually. And so what's happening here is that of his own will, he decided to birth something. And that something is you. And it's of his own will. You didn't determine it. You didn't make it happen. He made it happen. You might have said, well, I received him. God gave you the ability and the desire to receive him. God's the one who caused your salvation. God's the one who caused you to love him. Now, what does this do for us? It means this, that you can't be a jerk in society and say, look at all you immoral suckers out there, all the things that you're doing. No, what you get to say is, of God's own will, he brought me forth, he birthed me, he's the one that's changing me. I'm not changing me. He's changing me. He's the one who's making it happen. He's the one who's doing this in my life. He's the one who's causing me to be somebody new. And so therefore, the only thing that I can do is to be gracious to those who don't believe the way that I do. The only thing that I can do is to love people who disagree with me. The only thing that I can do is to be gracious to people who are ungracious to me. This is what it means to be a Christian because it's of his own will that he brought us forth. Listen to this. Christianity is not a job interview. It's not putting on your best shirt. It's not getting all the right answers. It's not learning everything about the company that you're going you're gonna to work for. It's not trying to act nice and not cuss in the interview or something like that. It's not a first date. It's not a first date where you, you, you put on your best duds. You try to smell nice for once, guys. Try to, try to act nice, open the door for her, all, all of those things. It's not a first date. That what this means is this, is that when God took you on, you were this disheveled, out-of-control person who came in like, uh, God, I think I need help. And God's the one who determines it. God's the one who determines it. It's not a job interview. It's not a first date. You can't make yourself look any better to God. God's the one who determines it. He's the one who's brought you forth. And then lastly, this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What's this mean? What's this mean? It was his decision to birth you, to become his own. And the way that he does this is he does this through, in and through, the word of truth. And what is the word of truth? The word of truth is the gospel. And what is, what is the gospel? The gospel is the story of God. It's God's redemptive plan. It's God's plan to look at humanity and say, I know that they're screwing themselves up. I know that they're completely messed up, that they take credit for the things that they do, and they say, look at what I've done. Look at what, what's taken place in my life. I know that I see this, but God's plan is this. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to redeem them through the Son of God, through Jesus Christ, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, how does the truth set you free? The truth is this. The, the truth is that God is the one who's provided all things. And when I look at my life and I say, I'm the one who's made this happen. I'm the one who's affected my salvation. I'm the one who's a good person. I'm the one who's a good father. Or you're looking at your life and you're saying, I am a failure. I've screwed up my family. I've screwed up my marriage. I've screwed up everything in my life and I don't have what it takes. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's the truth? The truth is that the never-changing God sent the Son, Jesus Christ. And when the Son comes, what he does is he goes to the cross. And it's not a first date, and it's not a job interview. When he goes to the cross, you're dead, you're lifeless. He sees throughout all of time. All of time is concurrent for him. And so when he looks at 2015, as he's on the cross, he sees Matt Porter. That's me, by the way. He sees Matt. And he sees me, and he, and he says, I see Matt in all of his desires to, like, be determinate in his own life. And I see how he's messed up in the past, and I see how he's going to mess up in the future. And I see how he's going to try to take credit for the things that are taking place in his life. And yet, I love him. God looks down through time, and he sees you right where you're at. There's been no time to get ready for the interview. There's been no time to primp before the date. He just sees you as you are in your worst moments. And he says, I love you. I love you exactly the way that you are. And I am going to be the thing in your life. It's no longer going to be you who's causing change in your life. It's no longer you who's going to be determinant. It is now going to be me who's causing these changes to take place. I am going to birth you. I'm going to cause you to be something new. You're going to grow up like a baby in the faith. This is God's great love 
for us because he looks down, he sees you exactly the way that you are. Some of you came in and you're doubting, does God really think that I could be one of his? And I want to tell you that God knows that you can be one of his. God is the one who can, of his own will, call you to be his own. And if you want that at all, you are his. But do you know what this means? Because there's no shadow of turning, there's no amount of change, there's nothing that, that can change the way that, the, that this goes. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what's happening in your life, his love remains over you. His love remains. I, I know I've been trying to find meaning in life and all of these other things. His love remains over you. He never changes. He's not like a friend who you upset sometimes. Like, oh, I can't really talk to that friend right now. No, he never changes. His steadfast love is always there. It doesn't change. You can't walk away from it. He's always loving you. This is the God who we serve. This is the one who you can serve. This is the one who wants you. It's no longer, your life is no longer going to be determined by your success. It will be determined by God's love. And how does this set you free? You're no longer at the whim of your own heart. You're no longer controlled by your desires. You're no longer and increasingly so, going to be somebody who's a victim of circumstance throughout your life because he never changes. He's the constant. He's never going to come home and say, I don't love you. He's never going to find someone else. He's never, ever going to say, you're not enough. He's never, ever going to do any of that because of his own will, not based on what you've done, because of his own will, he can bring you forth through the word of truth. Lastly, for what? What's the purpose? That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What's a first fruit? This is God's work. He's brought forth this baby. And he's saying that through the word of truth, he's bringing about first fruits. First fruits is this. It's God's deposit in this life of what is to come. See, God has not just saved you from yourself and your constant desire to be something that you're not your constant desire to take credit for what you've done. He's not just saved you from that, but he's, he's saved you for something. You've not just been saved from yourself, but you've been saved for something. So what's this mean? It means this. When I come to my job, and when I come to my culture, and when I come to my wife, and when I come to my friends, and when I come to uh, everything in my life, what happens is this, there's an attitude of gratitude that takes place because I didn't do this, God did it, but there's a deep security that you have in your life. 
because I'm not striving for your approval. I'm not striving just to get ahead in this job because I already have my approval. He's never changing. He's my object of desire. He's my object of whatever. And what takes place is this. This is a first fruits. It's a deposit in our community right here and right now. And what's this mean? If there's an army of people who believe that he's the one who has brought me forth, and it's through his word of truth that he saved me and that he never changes, I have a deep sense of security knowing this. I don't have to strive. It doesn't mean that I don't work hard. It means that I'm not working hard just to work hard. It means I'm working hard to glorify God. What, what this also means is I won't overwork because I glorify God through loving my wife and my kids. It means that I'm not going to be stealing because I don't need more to be happy because I have all that I want in the Father through the Son. And I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into my culture and say, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about what the Father has done through the Son to bring about a first fruits in our culture here and now. Now, hear me on this. We have got plenty of Christians who claim Christianity, yet there's nothing that shows forth in their life of a first fruits. This is what God is speaking to us today. Outward church, understand this. God has called you to rest in his love, but he is calling you to respond to his incredible grace in your life as a first fruits offering in our culture. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray and ask that there would be people in this service who are affected by your word. There's so many of us that have been insecure wondering whether you love us, but you never change. So if you've set us free, we are free indeed to no longer be about ourselves, but to be grateful to you and as a result affect our culture in profound ways that are loving and gracious towards those around us. Lord, make us into those people today. Lord, many of us continue to, to walk around as babies. We haven't grown up in the faith. And God, you, you have something for us to revel in what you've done, your great grace and mercy. You have done something for us that is life-altering, life-changing. God, would you bring that to fruition in our lives? Lord, may we respond with disciplined hearts, minds, and bodies that say, I want to be someone who's bringing forth your incredible blessing of redemption in our society, not forcing it on them, but showing the deep love that God has for his people. So Lord, this morning I want to pray for those that are suffering under the weight of a spouse that's been a jerk, of a boss that's mistreated them, of family members that they maybe have not heard from, or, or, or a, a father that's, that wasn't there 
God, I pray that they would see you as their, as their loving father. I pray that they would see you as their loving friend who never changes. I pray that they would see you as their new spouse. You never change. Lord, I pray that we take hope in that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.